If you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn with me to the book of Haggai, Haggai chapter 2. We started a series last week uh, there and uh, looked at the very first chapter of Haggai together. Today we're looking at Haggai chapter 2 verses 1 through 9. If you've got your Bible or your device, let's read this together. Verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you has left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry lands. I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Would you join me in welcoming Donna as she comes to us share with us this morning? Thank you so much, Dave and Julie. That was great. Good reading. What a lovely service so far. It's lovely to be here with you. I, I really do enjoy coming to share with you. As much as I have to settle the nerves and calm my mind, I'm excited about what we've got to talk about this morning. But I need to ask you a question first. Have you ever felt discouraged? Yeah? Yeah? I'm sure I'm not alone saying, oh, I felt discouraged. That feeling of, oh, why bother? What I'm doing doesn't matter. It's really not going to make any difference anyway. We all, you can resonate with that feeling, can't you? Yep. As I was thinking this through, I thought, as a parent, some days I feel like I am speaking into the wind. It is going nowhere. <laughs> no one can hear me. It's pointless. Why bother? Anyone ever tried to lose a few of those winter woolly pounds and just thought, oh, those last five kilos, what's the point? You know, really doesn't make any difference. We've all felt like that, haven't we? Did you know by February, only about 8% of people that made a New Year's resolution are still going? Yeah. <laughs> a month. A month can make a big difference. And we're going to see that this morning. A month. Just a month and people can feel really, really discouraged. So we can't be too hard on the people we're about to hear about, okay? Because we've all been there. Everyone's felt it. And even though it can happen with the big things in life, it can also happen with the little things in life. But we're not immune to being discouraged in our spiritual walk as well. Our spiritual journey can experience some real setbacks or discouragements. So I'm hoping that as we work through what God's got for us this morning, we're going to see God's plan for dealing with discouragement. The way he used Haggai to speak to these people to encourage them to bring them hope. Now we're in the middle of a series called Renewal. Last week when Pastor Dave started the series for us in chapter 1, we saw that the people were dis um, distracted. So I'm going to do a really quick recap, just in case you weren't here last week. If you didn't hear it, it's worth going back to listen to. But a really quick recap. God's people, the Israelites, were carried off into exile into Babylon. 
This was as a consequence of their disobedience and their idol worship, a whole lot of other things that were happening. But God had said it would be for 70 years. So the 70 years were up, the kings had now changed, and there was a favourable king who actually gave them permission and gave them some resources and sent those that were willing back to Jerusalem with God's call to rebuild the temple. That was their purpose. That's why they were going back to rebuild. Now, about 50,000 men, women, and children picked up and moved back and brave people they went back to nothing it was desolate it had been just totally decimated it was trashed so they've gone back and as they've come back they've started exactly what God said they went off to a great start they laid the foundation for the temple they set up the altar but now pastor Dave did a great job of showing how God renewed their call to realign their priorities to his and Haggai is the prophet that God used, one of the prophets God used to call them back, to refocus and realign their priorities with him. And as Haggai spoke to them, the first message, Haggai comes with four messages. And the first message we hear, and Haggai speaks to the people, and something miraculous happens. Three weeks after he first spoke, the people are back at work building the temple. Now that's pretty incredible. If I could have uh, 50,000 people doing something three weeks after I said it, I would not be discouraged. <laughs> I would think that was pretty good. But we find them again in chapter two as we pick the story up, it's a month later. So they've had this three weeks of, you know, okay, we can do it. Then they got to work and it's only a month later that we find them. And we find them really discouraged. So that's interesting what's happened in a month. Let's pick it up. So I'm going to find my notes now. Okay. I want you to see as we pick the story up in chapter 2, verse 1, that this was God's plan. So I'm going to just outline the plan so that you can see it as we read and it will make a lot of sense. The first thing God does as he's trying to realign them to him and to renew their hope because they're discouraged, the first thing he does, he gets them to take a really good look at the situation as it is. Now, God pretty much calls a spade a spade, which is great. I love it. He does not want them to pretend that it's all hunky-dory and they're living in a bed of roses. He actually calls it for what it is. And he gets them to a point to acknowledge the present, but then to see that it's still part of his plan. It's not ideal, but it's still part of his plan. And then as we move through these few verses, we're going to see that a couple of times he draws their attention back. Now, this is so gracious. God doesn't draw their attention back to the past to re-examine their failures, to point the finger and go, you people, Dave made the point last week that Haggai uses the words, God says, these people, these people. So God doesn't, he doesn't point the finger at them and go, mm, mm, mm. What he does is he redirects their attention back to the past to see his faithfulness, him, his faithfulness, not their failures. So that's his first way. So he's drawn their attention to the what's happening then he's pointed them to the past and then he points them to the future and he gives them some great promises but the reason they can take hope in the promises is because of his faithfulness in the past do you get where I'm going yes okay so we're going to move through so if you've still got Haggai open or if you've not got it it'll be pop up on the screens I just want to do the first three verses and then we'll stop and talk on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shatil, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. 
there's no one left out here. Ask them, who of you who is left saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Let's pause. So verse 1, we get the date. That's how we know it's a month gone by. It's the 21st day of the seventh month. And it tells us that they've been rebuilding for a month. But it also tells us some other really interesting things that are so closely tied to this renewed call for hope that I think it's worth popping back a few books into the Bible backwards and just getting a snapshot of why this month is so significant. So bear with me. I'm going to read it to you rather than get you to go back there. So we're into Leviticus of all places. I like Leviticus. It gets a hard rap, but I like it. So we're going to start in chapter 23, and I'm going to read to you just a few verses, 39 to 43. So listen to the dates. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest, and the eighth day is also a day of Sabbath rest. On the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the, your, the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters so that your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now this festival was known as the Festival of Tabernacles, the Festival of Booths, or to give it the Hebrew word Sukkot, S-U-K-K-O-T, Sukkot. And this festival had been celebrated for years long like long history of being celebrated but then when they got carried off to exile they didn't but what's really interesting is that it's the first festival they celebrated when they returned the 16 years prior to where we find them now so they've come back and it's the first thing they did was celebrate this festival now i want you to picture they're living in rubble, they would have had to go and gather branches and trees and things to create. And the shelter had to be three-sided and open on one side. It could have a roof, but the roof couldn't block the sun. And the whole point of it was to acknowledge that God had brought them out of Egypt. They had been redeemed. They were living in freedom and God's provision for them as they traveled through the wilderness. And it was a great celebration. It was a time of remembrance, a time of rest, a time of, of feasting. So they brought in their tithes and offerings. This is one of the festivals that all Jews were expected to travel to Jerusalem three times a year for the three, these three different festivals. They were expected to come to Jerusalem to celebrate this. So it's the last of the festivals, the last of the seven things that God institutes as the rhythm of their year. But this was huge. Now, we pick them up in this seventh month. And if we go back to Ezra, it's, Ezra tells us that that's the first festival they celebrated when they first returned as exiles. We don't hear anything about them celebrating it this time. They've been working on rebuilding the temple. But I think it's so fascinating that God pinpoints the date because they would have known this is what they were supposed to be doing. But what they'd been doing instead was rebuilding their own fancy houses. How cool. But they've got to the point of rebuilding God's temple, but 16 years have passed since they've celebrated again. Don't you think the wasted time in between would have just jumped out at them? 
We've wasted all this time. We could have had a temple built. We could be celebrating this festival, but we've missed it. But God doesn't point the finger. But to rub salt in the wound, what they would have also known is that about 400 years earlier, it was in the same month that Solomon's temple was dedicated. So this was the original temple that was built that had been destroyed that they were now trying to rebuild. But I think what we so easily miss is the opulence, the magnificence, the like what Solomon's temple was. As they've been building for a month, they would have had a poor. We are never going to get to that. What we are doing now, why bother? The discouragement discouragement must have been heavy on them as they realized they were never going to be able to recreate what had been. So months of hard work in and all this was going through their minds. Now, to even get a glimpse of what those, God points them back, who of you, who of you? There were some that had come back that would have seen the past magnificence of Solomon's temple that are now looking at what they are building, going, <laughs> so Ezra tells us that as the shouts went up, there was cries went up and intermingled there was crying and shouting at the same time they couldn't tell the difference about who was sad and who was happy but let me just give you some idea of what they were thinking about as far as Solomon's temple so King David had been given the plans and he started to set in motion the preparation to build the temple he gathered so much as far as materials, as far as gold and silver and timber. He also gathered thousands of people together, skilled craftsmen that were going to hammer gold and mold and stitch and, and create this, this amazing temple. But just for sheer numbers of people, it's so hard to even get your head around this. Once um, King David had handed it over to Solomon, Solomon then, 30,000 men in shifts of 10,000 rotating along, were to collect timber from Lebanon. Okay, get your head around that. 70,000 men were scripted, these are non-Israelites, were conscripted, forced into manual labor. 80,000 men were conscripted just to cut the stones. Okay, now we've got, oh, and by the way, King David, out of all of his wealth, he didn't weigh the bronze, he didn't measure the stuff. He gave, out of the nation's wealth, he gave so much. Out of his own personal reserves, he gave over a hundred tons of gold. Okay, like this is beyond anything we can imagine. And yet here are we finding this remnant of people, 50,000 total men, women and children who aren't skilled skilled in any trades. They haven't got the ability to cart and carry all these big things. And here they are trying to build something to replace what was. Can you feel their discouragement? Like, oh, it's never going to be that. But God meets them in it. He doesn't say, oh, yes, yeah, sorry about that. It's not going to be good enough. He actually meets them in the reality of what it is and says, but it's still okay. I love that he doesn't deny their grief. He doesn't try and say, don't compare. He's the one who draws it front and centre, putting their attention not on what is, but on who is. It's the God who was, who is, and is to come. It's the same God that built Solomon's temple. The same God is building their temple. Let's jump back in to verse 4. I'm sorry, it helps if I'm back in Haggai, not Leviticus. Verse 4. 
But now, be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Three times, God says, be strong. Followed by, and work. Why? For I am with you. You don't need 150-something thousand people. Who you have is enough. You don't need all the wealth and all the gold and all the bronze and silver, precious jewels, fabrics. I'm enough. I am with you. It's not you building the temple. It's me building the temple. And I am enough. Other translations use Lord of hosts. Remember Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is Yahweh's personal name. And attached to Almighty or hosts is the idea of King, Lord, God over heaven and earth. There is not an army on earth that can stand against the armies of heaven. There is not a king on earth that can stand against the king of heaven and earth. He is sovereign and supreme over it all. If he wants this thing to happen, it will happen. And I love that he declares it. He states that this is truth. The God of heaven's armies, the God of heaven and earth, everything under his rule, he will make it happen. This temple will be built because God says so. And the Lord will give them the strength they need. Doesn't matter how feeble they feel. Doesn't matter what they've got in their hands. God's enough. There's nothing and no one like him. God reframes their perspective to put himself in the center of it. And they can do this thing because it's him doing this thing. But let's shift back and see how he changes their perspective of the past. So back to verse 5. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains with you. Do not fear. Remember that seventh month, the celebration of freedom. God bringing them out of Egypt, a reminder of what God did that they could not. They could never have escaped Pharaoh by themselves. So much of what God does is done and then the rest of the scriptures recount, recount, recount because recounting God's faithfulness of the past brings hope for the future. But it's also a reminder of God's covenant with them. What did he say to them when he brought them out of Egypt? His promise was to be always with them. And God's saying that hasn't changed. He's still the same God. In essence, he's showing them that nothing that has happened so far changes his plans for them and for the future. His spirit is still with them. That was a massive reassurance. It might have been one of their biggest fears as they looked at the temple they were building and constructing that was nothing like the previous temple. Would the God they worship come and reside in this temple? Would his spirit dwell there? Without the opulence, without the wealth attached, was it going to be a house worthy enough for their God? And he says, yes, absolutely. My spirit is still with you. I love that God assures them that no matter what, they are not to be looking at their failures. They would be looking at his faithfulness. And then he draws their attention forward again. The former glory that they knew and that they are grieving, it's going to be surpassed. This temple that seems as nothing, it's still going to be used by God as a part of his plan. Let's read verse 6 through to uh, and 7. Six and seven. 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Good words. These words would have also brought to mind the way God's voice shook the earth as he established his covenant with them. As they came out of, um, out of Egypt and they, he brought them to Mount Sinai, God met them there on that mountain. His voice shook the earth. There was smoke and clouds, but his voice shook. The people feared even entering his presence. At some point, they wouldn't even go up on the mountain. And God said, that's good. Keep them back. And Moses went up. But God said something to them. So Exodus 19 and 20, but this is Exodus 19 verses 4 and 6. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings. God carried them out and brought you, where? To myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, God's saying through Haggai that in a little while he will do something even greater than bringing us a people that were a people of slaves into a people of freedom, into a holy nation, priests ministering to him. He's going to do something better than creating a nation out of nothing. He will shake all the nations, not just them, not just Egypt. He's going to go ahead and shake all the nations. And what is desired by all the nations will come. And God promises to fill this house that they see as nothing, to fill it with his glory. Now there's something about this new temple that will impact all nations not just Israel. I wonder if that blew their minds. Up until then, I wonder if they were thinking, this is just for us. We just need to worship God our own way. God's saying, this is bigger than you. These are staggering promises, great reassurance, and they bring hope. But there's also a lot in here for us. So we'll come back to this idea in just a little bit. I know some of you are mentally jumping way ahead don't. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I know some of you are joining the dots already in your minds. Hang on, we'll get there in a minute. Let's jump back into verse 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. It's an interesting sentence just stuck in here after he's reminded them of his great covenant that hasn't stopped. I wonder why he puts it in here. I think it's a reminder that it wasn't David's gold, Solomon's gold, or Cyrus's gold, and it's not theirs either. It's all his. All the wealth of the earth is his. If he wanted this house to be covered inside and out, it would be. God can deal with that. But his presence, remember he's reminding them of his covenant, I will be with you, my spirit will be with you. His presence doesn't rest on it. Whatever they see in front of them isn't determinative of God being with them. And I think that's really good for us. Okay, verse 9. Last one. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. If God had said nothing else to them other than verse 9, I think they probably would have been okay. That in itself, just, that's awesome. But he's finishing with that. What a reassurance. These words were filled with hope for Haggai as he spoke them to his people, but they're filled with hope for us. God acknowledges that this temple doesn't appear as grand as they thought it should. 
but he reminds his people of his covenant promises, his presence and his universal purpose for this place. It's just what he needs it to be. And as Lord of heaven and earth, his plans will prevail. How can this story be an encouragement to us if we're experiencing discouragement today? How can it bring us hope? I'm sure they had hope. Well, we know they went on to build the temple. It must have spurred them on. I think we can use the same framework. I think when we experience discouragement, no matter what area of our life we're facing it in, we can ask God to reframe our perspective so that we see things the way he does. I think in the very present moment, we can call a spade a spade and acknowledge the reality of what our circumstances are. Sometimes as Christians, we tend to forget that we can call it for what it is. We tend to just pretend it's not that bad or just gloss over it, put our church happy face on. Sometimes life's really hard. Sometimes we have a good reason to be discouraged. God will meet you in that moment. You don't have to get your ducks lined up to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and he lines the ducks up for you. You come as you are, really all of you. You bring all of him into, your pres into his presence and you say, come on God, this is what I've got to work with. And then he can change the way you see it. He might only change you. He might not change anything else. But if he changes your perspective, then everything's changed. I think God can direct our attention to the past. We can see his faithfulness with others. We can see his faithfulness through scripture. We can see his faithfulness in our own lives. And then we can allow him to point us forward and to see what hope there is in the future. Our God is faithful. He is worthy to be trusted. His promises bring hope. I don't know about you, but last week I was feeling really discouraged. I think this message is for me more than you guys. I was feeling so discouraged last week. Middle of the year, wintertime blues, feeling like I wasn't really making much progress. I do kids ministry here. I love it. The people I get to serve with are just the best of the best of the best. They are phenomenal. I get to love on people. I get to love on kids. But so much of what I do, I don't ever see the fruit of. Kids grow up and move through our space. Hmm. Do they go on to live a life with Jesus? I pray they do. I really pray they do. My kids, I pray for my kids. I want my children to know and love the Lord. I want every person I ever meet. It's the best thing I can want for you is to have more of Jesus. And it's so often I love on people and I never see the end result. Last Sunday morning, I came and my praise was a sacrifice of praise. And I don't know if you know that term, but I was praising because I believe it's true, even if I didn't feel it was true. And God in his graciousness led me to sit in a spot in church I don't normally sit in. And I sat there and I got to meet an awesome guy. And as he shared some of his story with me after the service, I said, he got it impacted his life way more than mine, I reckon. But anyway, as he was sharing part of his story, I'm sure it was just as much for him as it was for me. He said something along the lines of, life's really hard right now, but as a kid, I went to Sunday school and I experienced the love of Jesus. And I knew that when life was hard now, that's what I needed. So I've come back. And I, I, I cried more than he did. So he's telling me about God doing something in his life now, but I was having the same experience. God was doing something in my life. The encouragement I needed to hear. God is working even when I can't see it. So bringing my situation to him and saying, oh God, it feels like it's just not worth it. I'm not making a difference. I'm not having an impact. And God's going, you don't need to know. 
but he is. He's working. We can trust him with whatever we bring. It might not feel like it's enough, but what's in our hands is because God is enough and he will make it be whatever he wants it to be. We just have to show up. Work. Work because he is with us. I know that there's even more hope in this passage for us. There's no greater joy than building God's kingdom. There's no greater joy than being a part of what he is doing. But this temple that these people were building, it wasn't just for them. It had another purpose. The temple and everything about the temple pointed people to Jesus. They didn't know it then, but we know it now. Did you know that Haggai is only quoted once in all of the New Testament? In Hebrews 12, 26. But it comes after the author of Hebrews has shown how Jesus surpasses everything. Jesus is better than the temple. Jesus is better than the most perfect priest, the most perfect king, the most perfect sacrifice. Jesus surpasses all of it. And then the author uses verse 6 from chapter 2 to say once more God's going to shake everything up. How cool is it that Jesus fulfilled everything the temple was pointing to, everything these people thought wasn't enough, was so much more than enough. Jesus stood in that temple. That's the temple he preached in. That's the temple he performed miracles in. How much more glory could a temple have than Jesus in its midst? But what's so cool for us is that Jesus has come. He's gone back to the Father, but he's coming again. And the author of Hebrews says, one day he's going to shake everything. Everything will get shaken up and be made new. But until then, that temple that they built that they thought wasn't good enough did eventually get knocked down. But you know what happened? God put his spirit in us. Us who believe in Jesus, we are now his temple. We carry the Holy Spirit. We carry the glory. These people were worried wasn't going to come back. We carry it with us. We are the temple now. We are living stones being built into a, a spiritual temple to reveal God's glory, not just to us, but to the world around us. How much better can it possibly get? That is so cool. If you were experiencing discouragement today, bring it to God. These promises are for us, for our future. God is promising not only to shake the heavens and the earth, but to shake everything within them. We get to be there to see that one day, I hope. How cool. We can't be harsh with those people. A month in and they were discouraged. I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes a day in and I'm discouraged. It's hard work sometimes following Jesus. We don't have to pretend it's anything else. Have you ever had time with God and then just thought, oh, I didn't do it yesterday. I'm not going to do it tomorrow. But oh. there's so much of our spiritual journey that we can find discouragement in. But God said three times, be strong. Another way to say that would be to take heart. John tells us in chapter 16, verse 33, that Jesus said, this is my paraphrase. I've said this to you because in the world you're going to have trouble. But take heart because in me you'll have peace because I have overcome the world. Did you know that it's very hard to be discouraged when you've got peace? It's very hard to be discouraged because hope comes with peace. Peace in the present brings hope for the future. We can bring anything to God. But as we wrap up this morning, I really want to drive home this plan for dealing with discouragement. The Israelites were discouraged and God renewed their hope. I think if we're experiencing discouragement today, God can renew our hope. We can take a clear look at where we stand today. 
We can look back, but not at our failure. We can look back at God's faithfulness. We can look forward and hang on to the promises of he who is faithful then will be faithful now. He has good plans, plans for us. I love that our future is more dependent on God than on us. That gives me hope. We can trust God to renew our hope. So I want, as we pray together, I want you guys, if there's some part of your life that you think this is just too hard or why bother or I'm not making a difference, I want you to bring it to God. Call it for what it is. Meet him with it today and say, God, would you give me hope again? Renew my hope. So I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to give you a moment and I'm going to ask that you would, um, yeah, just bring whatever it is that's on your heart today to the Lord. Would you close your eyes with me as we, we join in prayer? Father God, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. You are gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and Lord of heaven and earth. You alone are mighty, able to accomplish all that you intend and your plans are great. Lord, when we face discouragement, would you renew our hope like you did for these people so long ago? Lord, we bring to you whatever situation's on our heart today, whether we feel that it's big or small, Father, we bring it to you and we ask that you will give us hope. Hope that you are at work, hope, for the, hope in your promises and trust in your faithfulness. Lord, would you draw attention, draw our attention to you, our attention to where you're at work, to what you're doing. Father, to remind us that our lack is okay because you have no lack. Would you remind us that regardless of what we see now, our hope is in you, not in ourselves. Lord, may our hope be renewed today. And Lord Jesus, we trust you with all that we are and all that we could possibly bring to you. We thank you, Jesus. And in your precious name we pray. Amen.